Uh, you can be seated. We're really, uh, we're really glad uh, that you're here today. And uh, today uh, is going to be a, a little bit different because of the lunch. And uh, we wanted to kind of give you a little taste this morning about uh, what's going to happen at the lunch before I, I, I preach my message. And uh, today is a day that is all about service and ministry here at Northwest. And I'll tell you kind of the heart behind uh, what we're doing today a little bit is that one of the things that ha- we've said about our church for quite a while is that we feel like we're a really friendly church. When people visit here, they're, they're welcomed and they're friendly. We don't feel like we are a very user-friendly church. In other words, once someone's like, hey, I, I love this place and want to get involved, some of those on-roads to getting involved, I think, can be kind of tricky to navigate here. Um, and so what we wanted to do today is to provide uh, an avenue for people to get involved in service in particular in our church. So when you go down to the lunch, and if you're not staying uh, for the lunch, this sheet is at our welcome table out in the lobby. But if you're coming down to lunch, at your table is going to be a sheet here that says Ministry Luncheon, and it has a list of of our teams. And uh, under each uh, team is a list of kind of check boxes of ways you can get involved. And you can put your name down and um, listen to the teams, like I'm gonna do here with Nick in just a minute. We're gonna do this with the teams uh, down at lunch, and you can just kinda hear about what these teams do and what opportunities they have going into the fall and what being on their team is like. And, and maybe if God moves you, you'll, you'll check one of those boxes and say, I'd like to be involved, and then that ministry team leader will uh, be in touch with you. So it's just we wanna provide better on-ramps uh, to, to, to life in our congregation. So I wanna introduce to you guys Nick uh, he is uh, leading our property uh, team meeting, and he wanted to talk a little bit about what service on property team uh, looks like. But before we get to that, Nick, today we're kind of talking about how every member is called into ministry and is gifted. What are some ways that you feel God has gifted you? Uh, well, I'm nervous. So <laughs> uh, he, He's not gifted me with the ability yet to speak really great in front of people, but... Uh, I can't talk like one-on-one with people. Uh, pretty easy. Like I just can talk to anybody. Um, I have a fairly mechanical like mind, like you know, dealing with the mowers and working on stuff. Mike, you know, teaching me how to do things around the building. Uh, it comes to me pretty easy. Um, and just working with my hands, you know, he blessed me with a body that, you know, I can do physical labor and just. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there are two, there are different things that grow your faith. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of different things. Sometimes trial and hardship grows your faith and meaningful relationships. But one of the things on that list to me is meaningful service, ser- serving other people. In what way or ways have you seen service grow your faith? Uh, when I, when I, you know, we all go through hard times you know, struggles and just temptation, just things in life that come at us. And when those, when those things come for me, I feel like if I come back and, you know, even do like simple things like, you know, do communion or talk to Mike and, hey, you know, we're going to have a, a weekend where we're going to be out here cleaning the shed or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, it helps me to kind of get, uh, you know, not distracted and back doing what I should be doing. Tell us a little bit about property. Uh, one of our ministry teams is the property team. What does property oversee? What do they do? Uh, 
we, I know Rich and his team, the people that help him uh, mow, take care of all the grounds outside. Um, we service the mowers, um, clean the windows. Uh, um, the downstairs, uh, sorry, I don't know if you can hear me. Uh, the downstairs has been completely like revamped over the past few years, and it was all people from this church tearing walls down and just, you know, getting with it. We installed the, the door, that big door, the, I don't know what kind of door it is, but it's a big door that way. We, <laughs> we installed that big door, uh, installed a wall, like not quite that big as that back wall, but the, uh, in the other sanctuary, we built that wall and just, it was all done by people here. And it's just, it's amazing really, you know, what you can do um, with, with more hands, you know, a lot of work becomes less work. Well, I think that leads into the, the next question about, I think you guys have kind of an interesting vision emerging out of property team yep. about serving even beyond these walls. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys are, are working on? Uh, we're wanting to get as many people that, you know, want to, you know, want to serve and, and, and help the church, you know, cause it, you know, it takes the burden away from the one guy who basically keeps this place on property, Mike. He does like everything, and more people would help lessen the load on him. But outside of this place, you know, we want to become like the, the shed. We got tools, and you know, a welder and a torch, and just all kinds of tools. We want, you know, if somebody here has something need, that they need worked on, all right, let's take it out there and work on it, you know, and or even people in the community, or if you know people that need something done, we could, you know, help everybody out. Yeah, it's kind of a bigger vision yep. than, than just maintaining our property to, to really serving serving uh, our people, but, but also the community with uh, uh, maintenance items, um, upkeep, you know, leaves in the fall, stuff like yep. that. Yep. Um, and uh, obviously you, you need volunteers to, to accomplish uh, said vision. And so, you know, when you, when you get your sheet, uh, property's got a section on here. Uh, so do all the other ministry teams. You're going to hear uh, from, from them over the course of that lunch. We're, we're not going to take your whole afternoon. We're, we're just thinking 15, 20 minutes to hear about the ministry teams and uh, what they're doing and, and, and what's going on and uh, enjoy a good lunch together. And we really hope you can stay. So let me pray. And thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. All right. Let's hey, thanks for listening to me. This thing called ministry, that we would see it uh, as a calling that, that you have in the life of every believer. Uh, a thing that you desire for us, uh, that this isn't just um, paid position or authority position or, or anything like that. It, it's something uh, you call every single believer to. So I pray that we would see that. Uh, and as we're trying as a church to just kind of uh, create some better inroads uh, to, to people being involved, um, I pray that people would be kind of inspired today a little bit at lunch as they're hearing about what our teams do, that maybe they have something to offer, uh, something to contribute. Uh, we thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want you to, to think this morning uh, as we get started about uh, some of your favorite combinations. What are, what are some of your favorite combos? For some people, it might be like eggs and bacon um, or uh, butter and popcorn 
or salt and pepper, or burger and fries, or spaghetti and meatballs, or cheese and crackers, tortilla chips and salsa. I, I know a lot of you may be tempted to say uh, peanut butter and jelly. You know what my son Sam thing, uh, my son uh, Sam, his thing is. And uh, I initially got him onto this, but he's become obsessed with it. Peanut butter and pickle. All right? um, he he eats a peanut butter and pickle sandwich almost every day of his life. He just loves that combination. And not traditional, he, he gets that uh, with the ewes and the gross and all that from other people. But um, today I'm gonna ask you to take a little bit of a journey uh, with me because we are going to talk about something today uh, that is not traditionally seen in Christendom as a, a dynamic combo, but it is. They're, they're, these two concepts are actually sometimes seen as opposites but I assure you, I hope I'll convince you by the end of this message, they absolutely are not opposites. They actually are married to each other and work in great harmony. And that's grace and works, all right? Grace and service. And so one of the images of the church, we're in this series right now um, uh, about, about the church and the different images in the New Testament of the local church. One of those images that you see throughout the New Testament, um, especially from the Apostle Paul, is that we are servants, we are kind of workers. We, we lay down our life for the good of others. And um, you might have a tendency to think that that is a whole lot different than grace. But they're, like I said, they're actually married to one another. And I think Ephesians 1 is going to show us. Let me put this on the screen for you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is, from, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul, like he typically does, Paul in the first couple chapters of Ephesians starts with the gospel of good news. He starts with grace. And, and like very traditional Paul, in order to get to the good news, he kind of starts with some of the bad news. And so I want to walk us through this text over the next few minutes because it's going to help us understand, I think, the role that grace plays in works. All right? But he starts out this way. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, sometimes in the New Testament, when you see this word dead, uh, he's talking about physical death, but most often he's talking, uh, the, the New Testament is talking about spiritual death. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, alienated from God because of our sin. And this is significant because I've told you this a whole bunch of times in my time here, but I believe you were created to know God. You were created to worship God. You were created to be in a relationship with God. But because of sin, we are dead. We are alienated. We are separated from him. And so we understand this in everyday life outside of a sin context. 
If you've ever gone to a gas station and you've seen a sign that says, no shirt, no shoes, no service, you understand if it's sun's out, gun's out, that you can do that. You can do that, but you are going to become separated from the Slurpee you so eagerly desire. During COVID, when we were live streaming, right? We had all these copyright issues that we had to navigate. So finally, we just kind of did away uh, with videos altogether. We're like, oh, we can't show videos because every time we showed a video, kind of the, the, uh, the, the, the bots would, would, would shut our streaming down. It's like, you can show that clip if you want to. You can show that clip, but YouTube is absolutely going to shut us down and we'll become separated from our audience. Even at home, your parents probably have certain rules that you are called on uh, to, to do with, with, with consequences. That you cannot eat the food I'm serving you, but that means no dessert. You're separated from dessert, right? You can disobey curfew, but you're not gonna be out again for quite a while. You're gonna be separated from your freedom. You can talk that way to mom and dad, but that means you're gonna become separated from your screen time for the rest of the day and all of those entities. So we understand that on a micro level. All of those entities are nowhere close to as holy or righteous or perfect as God is. The scriptures are clear. Our sin separates us from the life that God wants for us, but sin also separates us from the relationship he desires for us to have and that he created us to have. And according to Paul, the reasons are pretty simple for why this happened, how we ended up in this place. He said, we followed the ways of this world and the, and, and the rules of the kingdom of the air. And what he's saying is that every culture in human history, every single one, this is not American culture, every culture in human history has had things that are okay for the culture and true for the culture, but they're not okay with God. And they're not true for God. There, and Paul would say underneath that, underneath these kind of cultural norms that are not okay with God, underneath this is a spirit of disobedience led by Satan, that drives those cultural norms and those cultural truths. He is the father of lies, and it might be tempting to lay all the blame there, right? Have you ever kind of known someone who's like, oh, the devil made me do it, right? The culture made me do it. Have you ever known someone like that, that they kind of refuse to take responsibility for their own decisions and their own actions, and they lay it all at the feet of the devil? Like, I cussed out my coworker. Man, Satan really got a hold of me that day, right? And I think this is why Paul goes on to say, well, all that's true, that there's a kingdom of the air, there's the temptation of culture. While all that's true, Paul lands on this point. We gratified the cravings of our flesh. At the end of the day, Paul says, this this text says that our sin happened because we were tempted to be sure. But he says, at the end of the day, we ended up doing what we craved to do. Man, DoorDash can be a real dangerous thing, can it? I, I, I am so grateful for it in the time of COVID, but DoorDash can be dangerous because it used to be if you craved Taco Bell or you craved Wendy's at 10 o'clock at night, you had to get out and drive and go across town to get that burger or, burger or, that, or that taco. And now for a low delivery fee of $80, um, <laughs> you can get that stuff at home, right? And it's a, funny, it's a funny example, but it, it's true across the board. If we, in this culture especially, if we want something, if we crave something, we can gain access to it very easily. And so Paul is making an important argument, and here's where he's going to land. 
We are deserving of wrath. And listen, this terminology rattles us a little bit. Uh, but this is not the only text that says what we deserve this way. I, I think the reason this rattles us so much is that we have a low understanding and appreciation for God's holiness, and we have a high understanding and appreciation for our righteousness. In other words, our assumptive response when we read the Bible is that we are good, holy, and righteous. At a minimum, we are more good, more holy, and more righteous than the person sitting next to us. Don't look at them, right? So that's a bad combination. A low appreciation for, holy, for God's holiness and a high appreciation for our holiness. And so we just, in general, don't think of ourselves as deserving of, of wrath. We, we just don't think of ourselves that way. But the Bible says we are, and that's exactly what would happen, except for I want to show these two little words up on the screen for you. He says, but God. But God. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Through the work of Jesus on the cross, he paid for those sins that we committed. He took the punishment that we deserved. He absorbed the wrath that should have come for us. In the same way that sin made us dead, in the same way Jesus made us alive. He forgave our sin. He reconnected us back to God so that we could enjoy the relationship with him that we were created to have. And I love what the text says. He doesn't just forgive us. I was actually kind of moved uh, when I read this text this way because he doesn't just forgive us. Paul will say he raises us. Look, look at verse uh, 6. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, there's a coming age, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus, that because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, someday we will be raised and we will be, Paul says, seated in the heavenly realms. And he is going to show us, imagine what Paul means by this verse, he is going to show us the incomparable riches of his grace. At some point, the veil is going to be pulled back, and we are going to experience the incomparable riches of his grace. What does it mean? Is he talking about like the streets of gold in Revelation? Is he talking about the choirs of angels, the crystal sea, being reunited with loved ones? Yes, but so much more even. Those are the, the weak attempts to compare it to something. It's like, oh, the, the, the streets are like gold. The sea is like crystal. Right? The, the choir angels are absolutely beautiful. It's, a, it's a, an attempt to compare it to something. What's Paul, what Paul is talking about is something that can't be compared. He's like, it is incomparable. When that veil is torn back, what we are going to see in that moment, it is so much more than anything that we could ever compare it to. And so Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved. Not by works. So let me ask you, as we work through this text, why would he do this? Most descriptions that people have of God is that he is an angry, controlling, and lashing out God. The engine that drives Ephesians 2 is the engine of grace. Why would he do it? Because look at how he's described in this text. He, because of his great love, it's because he is loving God, who is rich in mercy, it's because he is merciful. God, who is rich in grace, it is because he is graceful that he is seen as kind in this text. And it's because of grace that we find what we were created for. Right? 
It's because of grace that we find what we were created for, and that is to have the relationship with God in this life and in the next. I believe it to the core of my being. You were created to know and worship Jesus. There's a hole in you that will not be filled by anything but him, and you are able to enjoy that, and you are able to have that here on this planet, and someday when the veil is torn back for all of eternity, you are able to have that because of grace. So, we don't boast in us Why would we boast in us? We boast in his kindness. We boast in his grace. We boast in his mercy. We are saved because of him. This is why we always want to guard against this philosophy called humanism. Humanism is a philosophy that says, I am the center, so I need to be celebrated, I need to be focused on, and I need to get my way. Some of you have been in a relationship with someone like this, And you wouldn't call them a humanist. You would use a word like they're a narcissist or they're extremely selfish. And here's what you know. Life is not found in that place. Humanism is a lie that leads us to to separation from others and eventually from God. It is a lie. Here's what you need to know. Life is not found in the humanistic place. Hurt is found in that place. Not joy, hope, and peace. So I would, plead, I would plead with you, because of grace, to not allow yourself to fall into humanism, but instead to have a Christological approach to life. Here's what that means. Christ is everything. Christ is everything. So he is the one to be worshipped. He is the one to be followed. He is the one in whom we find life. And here's what you will discover. When Christ is in his right place, I am in my right place. Listen, it is not true that you are nothing. That's not true. It's not true that you are nothing. It's not true that you don't matter. That's not true. You and I have a place. As a worshiper, we have a place. As a servant, we have a place. As a member of the body, we have a place. As one created by God, we have a place. As one who is gifted, you have a place. But until Christ is all, I will way overshoot my place. I do it, I do it all. When Christ is not all, I overshoot my place, and I will try to make me all. If Christ isn't all, I'll make myself all. And it always goes sideways. It always goes wrong. It never goes well. When Christ isn't all and I become all, I hurt myself and others. So I wanted to lay all of that groundwork to make sure we understand it is by grace we have been saved. It is by grace that we find what we were created for, a relationship with God. But also, and here's where it's tied to service, it is in grace that we find our calling. Like you notice verse 10 at the end? We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. So just like in Christ Jesus, we are saved in this life and the next, and we find that relationship with God we were created for. In Christ Jesus, he created us through his grace and mercy to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we understand grace that makes a difference. The grace of marrying your spouse, the grace of having children, the grace of winning the lottery, right? (laughs) Right up, whatever. Those are smaller graces, but they changed your reason and purpose for living. No doubt about it. Those little kids, they change it all, right? They change everything. So absolutely, understanding the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus demonstrated from the cross will change our mission and our purpose, 
our reason for living, and our attitude toward service. Let me come back to that in a minute. I want to take you back to, to Genesis 1. God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1. He created the sun and the moon and the stars. Uh, eventually, he created cats and said, I can do better, so he created dogs, right? And just one thing after another. And then on day six, he creates the man and the woman. And remember, they're in this garden, and there was one rule in the garden, and that rule wasn't don't run around naked. That was actually allowed, right? There was one rule in the garden, and it was there's a tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat from it. Its fruit is like poison. Don't eat from the tree, the, the fruit of that tree. Man and woman are in the garden, and he created them with unique personalities and abilities and genders. He created them to serve. He gave them roles of service in the garden. And then here's what happens in the story. This man and this woman that God created gave specific instruction to, they begin to leave, believe some lies. They begin to believe lies like, I think this would be good for food. When God says, like, no, it's poison. It's going to kill you. Like, no, I, eh, is it? Is it? It looks tasty. It looks good. And at the end of the day, Adam and Eve said, I desire it. It's good for gaining wisdom. And in that moment, they bought these lies and they served themselves and not God because they believed those lies. This verse in Ephesians 2 is the gospel in a sentence. Here's what I need you to know. You are God's creation. You are God's creation. At some point, here's what you need to understand. At some point, God came up with the idea of you. And he gave you gifts and abilities and passions. And he did that for a reason and for a purpose that he created in advance. So before the creation of the world, I have an idea for you. And I'm going to give you gifts and abilities and passions so that you can serve this world. And then here's what happens to us, just like it happened in the garden. It happens here in Decatur, Illinois, is that sin disrupted us and distracted us from our purpose. Here's what I mean by that. You and I bought into some lies. From our culture, from Satan, whoever you want to blame. And I, you and I bought some lies. We bought into a lie that, like, I should always be happy. We bought into a lie, I should always be well served, Right? I should always be well served. We bought into a lie, life kind of revolves around me. And those lies, he, pre he prepared good works in advance for us to do. And those lies became a distraction from our true calling and our true purpose. And then Jesus happens. I love how the verse says it. I, I was confused by this terminology for a long time, but I think I understand it better now. He says, we were created in Christ Jesus. He said, no, 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 I thought, we were, I thought God created me. Father God, I thought Father God created me. We were created in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about your first birth, he's talking about our second birth. That it's like when we come to Jesus, we're like this new creation, this new birth. And so what happens when that new birth happens, when we come to Christ Jesus? Well, what happens is we experience his grace, and yes, he forgives our sin, yes, he gives us eternity, but he also gives us the example of his life. And in Jesus, we see the example of one who serves. In that second birth, the birth that we experience through Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And we begin to see our gifts and our abilities and our passions, hopefully in a new way. Not to serve me, but to serve others. And that happens through coming to Jesus and experiencing new birth. Receiving his Holy Spirit, seeing his example, reading his words, all of that. It's all part of a new birth. 
and those lies become, become clear to us. And we begin to see that we were lied to, that life is not spent in attaining being served and being served well. It is the life well lived is the life spent serving others, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Understanding Jesus and experiencing new birth will change your mission and purpose. We are servants of his. We are created to do good works. Let me tell you a couple things about whatever it is that he's kind of designed for you to do. It's probably mission-centered. It's probably centered on mission. That God is that always kind of urging us to follow after his glory, to make his name known and celebrated and worshiped, to usher people back to him. So it's probably mission-centered. It's probably not self-focused. It's probably others focus because that's what we see in the example of Jesus. He came not to be served, but to serve. It's probably going to challenge you and test your faith, right? It's an absolute lie from our culture that if something is from God, it should be easy. That's a lie. That if, if it's from God, it's going to be easy. What, what, what it's saying love is like, I mean, check out like two-thirds of the Bible, Right? That's a lie. That things that God are in the middle of are often hard. They're often difficult. They often challenge us. Now, someday, the hard things will be done away with, but until then, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not from God. So it's probably going to challenge you, and it's probably going to test your faith. And I, what I do know is it's probably motivated by love, a love that we've experienced and a love that we want to share. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And what I don't want for you, and I'm going to talk about this here in a minute, is I don't want you to get through the entirety of your life and to have just received, to have just been served, to have just been on the sidelines, enjoying other other people's service and other people laying their life down. I don't want you to be a person that just and only receives. So today at lunch, you're going to hear about some ministry going on around the church. And here's what I need you to understand. And I want you to hear my heart behind this. And then we're going to close this thing up and and, uh, do communion. But here's what I want you to understand. Today is not about begging for help. Um, It's not that at all. And I hope as you're hearing our ministry teams talk about opportunities uh, going to the fall, you're not going to hear a a, a kind of begging thing. One of the things that um, I learned during COVID is that God's going to take care of the bride. Jesus is going to take care of the bride. And that, that, man, it just seems like no matter what is thrown at the bride that we're going to be okay. Um, during the pandemic, some of our teams took a hit. Right? You can imagine in the middle of a pandemic saying, I was joking about this during Sunday school, but during, right in the middle of the pandemic, who would like to stand at the front door and greet every person that arrives? <laughs> the answer is not many people would like to do that. All right, so, so some of our teams understandably kind of took a hit during, during the pandemic. Some of those real kind of personal interaction pieces really, really took a hit. But don't hear it as begging because that's not the heart behind it at all. Is man, I want you to lean in and hear about some opportunities so that you can find your calling and, and your purpose. You may not be wired up to serve in kids zone. You may not be wired up to be a greeter, but you're wired up for something outside of yourself to make a difference. And so uh, this, my heart behind this is I want you to find your calling and, and your purpose. And I also want us to just guard against 
this kind of Western American ideology of being served. That I have to be served. I have to be well taken care of. And it's, it's good to be served every now and then. But I want us to guard against that and to say, man, because of his grace, I know that he has given me a new birth with a, a reason and a purpose, and I want to serve others, and I want to lean into that hard, right? Um, I re- just on Friday, we were at a restaurant, and you know, you know how being at, you, you know, going to restaurants right now. And, you know, if you think it's hard, you know, being at a restaurant, just kind of you and your spouse with really, really slow service, um, try being in one with an 11-year-old and a 4-year-old with really low service, right? Really uh, understaffed, underserved. And I'm sitting there. I'd already written this sermon. It's in my heart. It's in my mind about not needing to be served but to serve others. And I turned to my wife about 20 minutes, and I'm like, how long are we staying? How long are we putting up with this? <laughs> the sermon had been written. It was back, I'd, I'd gone over it just that morning, right? And she's like, well, I really, you know, she didn't even know, know what I was preaching. I said, I, I think we need to be a good example to our kids and not demand that we be, be and the words, not demand that we be served. I was like, don't use my sermon against me. <laughs> That's my sermon for others, right? That's not for me, no, no. And so it, it is just a mentality that it creeps in so fast. I need to be served. I need to be served. I need to be served. But grace teaches us a different thing. Grace teaches us how well we've already been served. And, and, and we, we want to serve others with the gifts and abilities he has given us. So um, I, w- I want you to lean into lunch. Listen really carefully. You'll see the sheets on, on your tables. And just ask the Holy Spirit, what might you be calling me to? How are you gifting me to make a difference? How can I best serve the people around me? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. As we get ready to receive uh, communion uh, as a church family right now, um, I want to pray that as we reflect on uh, the greatest act of service ever, that we would be moved by what you did, that we would be inspired by what you did, And that because of your grace, because of your grace, we would be moved to be just like you. Say not how can I best be served, but how can I serve others? May it be true of us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion right now. Our servers are going to pass it. And it's just an opportunity for you to hold those two cups and reflect on what Jesus has done for you. And then I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll receive it all together as a church family. Uh, Just an opportunity for you to reflect and remember his act of service. His body given for you. His blood poured out. May we serve the way that he served and, and, and be like our Savior. Jesus, we thank you for your service. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, We're going to close with one last song of worship here in in just a minute. I want to give you a few uh, instructions for lunch. I I really do hope you're able to stay uh, and head down. Uh, The kids, like Scott said, are going to have a a separate meal. What we're going to ask is for parents to check their kids out of kid zone, uh, check them out, and then just for about 10 or 15 minutes, you can bring them back in. It's going to be in kid zone. Uh, That activity will have chicken nuggets, 
uh, drinks and stuff for them in there. So uh, you can uh, just give them 10 or 15 minutes to clear kids kids zone out, uh, bring them back in and check it out. On the off chance that uh, your kids like barbecue better than chicken nuggets, feel free to take your kids down and get them some food uh, forthwith um, uh, after service. Uh, I'm going to pray here in just a minute for the food. It takes me a, a while to get down there, uh, and I find you all start getting restless, all right? So um, I'm going to pray for the food so you can head down and uh, uh, start uh, enjoying food. And then when I come down, we'll, we'll kind of get the program going, and you can hear a little bit about some of the opportunities uh, that exist around here. We really are not planning to take very much of your time, uh, so we'd love to serve you a free lunch and just talk a little bit about what's going on here. So, uh, hey, God bless you guys. Let's go ahead and stand together and uh, sing one last song, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll go and have lunch together. We'll, we'll see you guys soon. Let me pray, all right? Let me pray for it. Sorry. Sorry. Let me pray. Right. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for ministry that happens around here. Uh, so many people involved and in, in doing different things. I want to pray right now for the food. Uh, we've had volunteers in there preparing it. Uh, all morning long and, and Friday. Uh, they started on Friday getting the pork ready. And so uh, we're grateful for that. Uh, we're grateful for an opportunity to fellowship, spend some time together, um, talk about opportunities coming this fall in, in our ministry teams. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Yeah, there you go.